Let me begin our time in prayer, okay, so we can get back to real things here. I'm going to pray David's prayer. Excuse me. Blessed are you, Yahweh, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. For yours, Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in heaven and all that is on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. Yahweh, you are exalted as the head of all things. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all of us. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to whoever you choose. And now we thank you, Yahweh God, and praise your holy and glorious name. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the purpose of life, to seek God. We saw last week in that passage that uh, Yahweh says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, if you seek me, you will find me, declares Yahweh God. And so we're in an adventure, I guess, in a series together on the attributes of God. And it is our hope that we would seek God with all our hearts, learn to know about God. We're going, to, we're going to do that by meditating on various attributes each week. Meditation, okay, don't get weird about that word. It's, meditation is like worrying, except it's positive worrying. It is it's fixating on a thought. It is, it is arguing some kind of concept in your mind. It's the idea that you know, each week we're going to learn another attribute, another characteristic of God, and we're going to ponder that, meditate on that. We're going to argue with that. We're going to daydream on that thing. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to be distracted by something greater than whatever our mind is finding itself to be, sometimes worry. We're trying to find ourselves enamored, right, turned towards your glory is so beautiful. That's what we're doing. We'll be doing this each week, and, and this week, uh, the topic, sovereignty, sovereignty of God. Let me read a definition by J.I. Packard on what sovereignty means. To say that Yahweh is sovereign is to say that he is supreme over all things and that there is no one above him, that he is absolute Lord over creation. It is to say that his lordship over creation means that there is nothing out of his control, nothing that God cannot and has not foreseen and planned. Sometimes uh, when the Bible talks about God being sovereign, it uses the word majesty. And majesty is, comes from a Latin word that means to give someone honor because they have the right to rule, to reign. And that's why we'll say uh, the queen, her majesty. Psalm 93 says, Yahweh reigns. He is robed in majesty. Your throne was established long ago. When we pray, we bow our heads. And we bow our heads because we're talking to a king. He's majestic. And we're showing that honor. And there's nothing quite like seeing the children across the courtyard and when they're in, in, in their worship time together. And they say, let's pray. And the hundred little heads bow down. They're talking to a majestic, sovereign king, and they know that. The, the foremost application for when, you, when a person is able to grasp that God is sovereign is that they are overcome with peace and rest. 
because they realize in the presence of a sovereign God, they forget dangers and their sorrows because they're dominated by the view that they're in awe of God, that He is transcendent, that the wonder of, of His rulership has more power than whatever their ailment might be. A practical definition, something that you can put your hands around and grasp in a practical way, is sovereignty means that God has a plan and he has the power to make that plan happen. He has a plan for creation and he has the power to make that plan happen. Let me tell you what we know about that plan and how he's shown himself to be powerful in the fulfillment of that plan. The creation story begins with God speaking all things into existence. He created all things by speaking a poem. He sang a song, and he did this creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. And with this something, he made it into order. And where there was no life, he created life. Adam, he made out of dirt because he could. A passage says, you, to you, in you, O Yahweh, is greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh. You are exalted as the head of all things. It is Yahweh's canvas. He paints whatever he wants. There is a fall as part of this story. Milton wrote in Paradise Lost that Satan believed that he could cause more harm to the soul of God by causing injury to humanity rather than trying to actually harm God himself. And injury to humanity is what happened. It's not just the fall of mankind. It is the fall of the perfect created order. And God in his story, as, as was planned, as the best possible world, has a plan to redeem things. That story becomes more detailed. His, he clarifies his ambitions when he comes to a man named Abraham. And he says to him, you and your wife, Sarah, will have a child. And from your lineage, I will bring about a nation, a whole nation from one son. And that nation will be responsible for telling the whole world that Yahweh rules. And one of those children, he will be the great and coming king, my only begotten son. And Sarah laughs. And God, who shows himself to this couple as God Almighty, El Shaddai, he says to Sarah, is there anything impossible for God Almighty? There is not. The story continues, and the great-grandson of Abraham is the youngest son at the time of a conniving father, Jacob, and he is persecuted by his uh, ten older brothers, and there is, his life is threatened by them. Listen to his story. It is the longest biography in the book of Genesis. His brothers, instead of taking his life, sell him into slavery, where he is falsely accused of attempted rape, and he is sent to prison and forgotten. And then he was called up from that prison, and from prison he becomes prime minister. And his story is told because he believes in the sovereignty of the great and majestic God 
because he says not once, he says it twice. He says this. He's at peace. He's at rest. He says, what all you meant for evil, God meant for good. It was all part of his plan. And then that's why you can have peace and rest in your darkest hour. This is the script that Yahweh writes. It's his play. Uh, now, therefore, this day, and consider, uh, no, I'm sorry, know this for, uh, no, you want to start over? Know that, therefore, this day, uh, and consider in your heart that Yahweh is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath, and there is no one else like him. Yahweh wants to formally introduce himself to mankind, and he needs somebody that's so, so hard-hearted that he would never repent regardless of the circumstances. As if he ever got weak, he would ask God to harden his heart even further. There was a pharaoh in Egypt that said, I want to play that part. I want to be that person. And let me lead by saying, who is Yahweh that I should obey him? Who is Yahweh that I should let his people go? No. Well, by the time Israel ends up at Mount Sinai, 19 times in the story of the Exodus, you will hear God say that the world would know or that all men would know that I am Yahweh. Israel <laughs> it finds itself on the far bank of the Red Sea singing a song of freedom while all the Egyptian gods have been destroyed as well as their army. This is the theme of that part of the story. And then Yahweh said to Moses, tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs amongst them so that they may know that I am Yahweh. This sandbox, it belongs to Yahweh. He'll write the rules. He does. And part of the story requires that there would be a great king. And in this royal lineage, he searches all of earth for men and women of faith. And part of this lineage is a prostitute from a country of conquest. It is a destitute widow from out of town. It is a little shepherd boy that was forgotten even by his own father. That's the way he writes it. Then Yahweh said, Can I not do with you as the potter does, declares Yahweh, like clay in the hands of the potter? Are you in my hands? Israel is now in time out. They're sent off into bondage. And to give them hope, God communicates to a prophet named Daniel. And he gives God, Yahweh, the playmaker, the owner of the sandbox, the painter, he gives Daniel such specificity of the next 400 years of kingdoms, of rulers, so many details of the future, that when people read this section of the Bible, they say, oh, no, 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 this was written after all that happened. This ha they, they, somebody wrote this later. 
And you know why they insist that someone wrote that later? Because they can't imagine a Yahweh God who is supreme and majestic and knows the plan, and the plan will happen. And so they, they can't figure that out. And so they have to insert some other theory. This is the program that Yahweh has forged. Just watch it. Just watch it play out. Just breathe. Just breathe. Let me read another passage of Scripture. This is what Yahweh says, the King of Israel, the Redeemer and the Lord of all hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let them declare what will come. Let them tell you what will happen. Here's the application. Listen to what happens if you believe that he is, in fact, sovereign. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Have I not told you from old? Have I not declared it all along? You're my witnesses. There is no God besides me. He has a plan. He's going to make the plan happen. And in the fullness of his time, the only begotten son, the king that was promised, was born to a very common family under a mountain in a cave For him to be nurtured, he had to be breastfed. For him to be safe, he had to flee to Egypt. (laughs) There's a time in the ministry of Jesus Christ where he takes three of his disciples and he takes the blindfolds off them and shows them who he really is. And 2 Peter says this, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. The sovereignty of God finds Jesus, the Christ, on a cross to die. Now, all his followers believe that Jesus could do anything. They believe because they saw that he could heal the sick. He could cause a blind man to see. He could, he could settle a storm at sea. He could cast demons out. They thought that the only thing he couldn't do was die. And yet there he was, grasping for every breath on a cross. And some scoffer, some mocker, screams up at Jesus and says, you saved others, why don't you save yourself? And I'll bet at least one of those followers of Jesus Christ was thinking, yeah, kind of what he said, except with a different tone. You have saved others. Why aren't you saving yourself? And yet, there was no rescue. He died. And his followers embalmed him with their tears. And when they put him in the grave, they said goodbye. That was their story. Is that really part of a story of a sovereign God, an all-wise, all-commanding God? Could you think of such a thing? Listen, here here he goes again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God Almighty, his majesty, raised Jesus from the dead because he could. And so he did.
This is the beginning of the story of the sovereignty of God. He has a plan, and he has the power to make the plan come true. First 10 years in my experience of following uh, Jesus Christ, and even in graduate school and afterwards, I put a lot of study in the sovereignty of God, and all of the men that taught about the sovereignty of God did so without ever consoling the student or pupil with the wonder of it. They, they, would, they would just teach the, the sovereignty of God like he were some harsh cowboy, you know, breaking some Mustang. That, that, it, that it, like his arms are folded. Yeah, I'm a king. And you just do what I say. That's a, I heard this phrase. That's a harsh sovereignty you're experiencing. Like the sovereignty of God is some jagged pill that you have to swallow if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. Does it have to be that jagged? Now, right around year 10 in this 10-year adventure, I had some evil come and uh, visit. And then there were two separate occasions when one of my children were nearly killed. And they should have been. And I would have been right in front of it. And so while grasping the sovereignty of God, I felt like I needed to go a little bit maybe deeper because I, I, I believed in the rule of God, but what manner of rule? I believed in the majesty, but what kind of king? He's a king, but what kind of king? And so I did what we talked about in, in, in the beginning. I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord with all of my heart. I argued. I fought. I debated. I read. I imagined. I dreamt. I had to find out what kind of king. I know how the story ends, right? I know that all of creation groans and longs like with birth pangs till the day of redemption. I know that this is not the final chapter. I know that justice will someday come. I know. I believe all that to be true. But what about now? What about here? And what about with me? Not does God rule, but how does he rule my life? I needed to know that. And this passage came along to help me understand. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, and, and, and they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus heard this. He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, no, no. For God's glory, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son will be glorified through this. Listen, listen carefully. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Joseph. And so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Let's review. He knows that Lazarus has become sick. He loves Mary, Martha, and, and, and Lazarus. The, this is just it's stating facts. So he stayed two days. At the end of those two days, he turns to his disciples and says, because he knows Lazarus is dead. And they... And he said, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing we stayed because now you're going to see the sovereignty of God played out in a way that people are going to believe. 
It's a good ending. G- let me just, I'm just trying to summarize because I want you to see how he rules. Jesus knows how this ends. It's a great ending. It's, a, it's, a, it's going to show off his power. <laughs> the Bible makes this clear. This, the Bible makes this clear that he knows what is going to happen. Did, did you know that you could be a believer in the sovereignty of God and not like it? Did you know that you could uh, be a, have a great amount of faith in the sovereignty of God, but you think you could come up with a better story, you know, a better way to play out the sovereignty part? I do. <laughs> I, think, I think most of us do. I'll give you some examples because when Jesus ends up coming to the village of Lazarus, uh, who comes first? Martha comes running out to him before he even gets to the town, the city limits. And she says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, you could have healed Lazarus. Mary's waiting for a while, but Jesus doesn't come to her. So she runs to him, falls down at his feet and says, Lord, if you would have been here on time, you could have saved Lazarus. So what we're seeing here is faith with a little dash of contempt. Okay. It's, it's, it's faith with some advice, right? Okay, I know how to write a good story, and, you, and you're, not, you're not doing it right. It's the sovereignty of God. Yeah, I believe in the sovereignty of God. No peace. This is, this is not Joseph. This is Jacob. I'll get things done since you won't. So... Just to summarize, Jesus is sovereign. He knows the plan. He stays two days late. He intentionally doesn't show up. In the definition of sovereignty, it's great. There's no such thing as a surprise. Knowing all of that, I I belabor this. Now let's watch. Let's experience. Let's witness the heart of the reigning king. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is Mary, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come out with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit. He was then troubled. He says, where is Lazarus? Over here, take me to him. And then it says, Jesus wept. Three phrases. He was deeply moved. He was troubled. Jesus wept. That's how the king responds to sorrow that he knows was going to happen and he knows how it will end. Deeply troubled. The word literally is interpreted as a horse snorting when it's angered. Jesus is, has resentment towards death. It says deeply troubled. It means agitated, disoriented. He is unnerved by what's taking place here. And he knows the ending. He wept. One translation says he burst into tears. And this display of the king involved in this story convinced people, the next sentence, and the Jews said, wow, see how he loved him? And then again, a couple sentences later, Jesus once again deeply moved, one more angry snort, right? He came to the tomb. And then he calls out in a loud voice because dead men have terrible hearing. He says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Told you it was a good story. Told you it was an amazing ending. You already knew the ending. The difference is Jesus wept. 
Why did he weep? Why did he weep when he knew the end? Why does he reign like this? Because the king reigns in the present. He is in the moment. He weeps for death, any death, all death. He knows this is not the way it was meant to be. This is only the best possible world that could exist. He knows it in a way that, like, he will fix this. And the only way to fix this is to sacrifice his only begotten son to pay the debt to make this right. The God, the sovereign God, who knows all things and controls all things and hates all evil, mourns all death. Yahweh is the sovereign God who rules us and grieves with us. I mean, I mean, maybe this is the way I see this. Uh, I love a wonderful life. I love it way too much. I get it. It's one of the reasons I uh, stay employed. Every year I watch It's a Wonderful Life, and I'm going, okay, I'm in for another 12 months. I just love the power of the movie. And, but here's the thing. I know how the movie ends. I mean, George Bailey, he's got all these people around his house, and he's got this whole basket full of money, and so he's out of trouble. And then they all sing a song together, okay? And they say, oh, George Bailey, you're the richest man in town. I love that. But yet every year when I watch it, more than once per year, I get involved in every personal story. Every story, I'm involved. Like, I don't know the end. I'm in the moment of that story. Mr. Mr. Gower, the, the pharmacist, right? When, when George Bailey comes back with that prescription and Mr. Gower is drunk on grief and whiskey because his son has died and he starts beating the bad ear of George Bailey until it bleeds... All because George is just trying to save the life of a child and the soul of a pharmacist. You know, I'm like, come on. And then, and then, and then the, the alternate Mr. Gower, right, where he's in uh, Mr. Martini's, like, sleazy bar, because that's what happened to Mr. Martini. He's in this sleazy bar, and he caused the death of that child, and he went to prison, and he comes back, and, they, and he's a drunk, and they throw him out in the street. They throw him out in the street. The whole town hates Mr. Gower. And no one in town hates Mr. Gower more than Mr. Gower. And I cry every time. And I cry more now than I did before. And yet the ending stays the same. And that is how Yahweh rules his kingdom. He rules it in the present. He knows that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But right here, right now, with you and me, he's here. And I would say more so. Because we can only imagine. No, we, we can't even hope to imagine what, it, what was meant to be. What could have been. Who hates this evil more? You? you know, right? Us? Or Yahweh. Yeah. So the sovereign God weeps. His majesty is in great sorrow with us. And if you want peace and rest, it will never be found 
in circumstances. It will only be found in the character of God, in the sovereign rule of a compassionate king. That's where it's found. Just days after this story in Jerusalem, the king will make his entrance, and all the people will scream, Hosanna, Hosanna, because it's part of the script. And if they didn't scream it, the rocks would. And days after that, they will be screaming, crucify him, crucify him, because the program is running, just like it was coded. And then, in three days, he will rise again from the dead. And the reason, one of the reasons, is because it was to prove that there is a God, Yahweh God, who is sovereign, who's majestic, who rules his creation, who writes a story and finishes that story. The fuller part of my story was this that the two times that one of my children were nearly killed, it was because of me. And it wasn't because I was careless or reckless. And, and that was the problem. I couldn't change some kind of behavior. It was because I was human and couldn't be everywhere at the same time. It was... It was... Anyway. And... And the visions of my child dying in front of me at my hands, I couldn't, I couldn't release the violence of that from my head. And so my quest was started because I realized that it was an act of mercy that God doesn't always give that caused my child and children two different, like, to live. And I, so I thought, I need to play this out. I need to find out what would have happened, how... And that's when I became terribly afraid because I was afraid that I could not endure that kind of suffering, even if a God was sovereign. And, I, and I, I was afraid of what that kind of sorrow would do to me. It would rearrange me, and I could be Mr. Gower. Oh, I would, I would go straight to Mr. Martini's bar, hoping they would throw me out. And so I sought God with all of my heart, and I, want, I wanted to know, I knew that he was sovereign, but I needed to know what kind of king he was, how he would rule, and I found that he ruled with care and compassion, that he ruled in the moment. I fought, and I argued, and I deliberated, and I read, and I meditated, and I imagined, and I came to conclusions that I could not be in charge anymore that I ever was. Yahweh's in charge. And I realized that he cared more than I ever hoped to. Yahweh God can, is a king, and he can be any kind of king he wants to be. And he is a good, good king. He's a compassionate, loving king, and his arms are not folded. They are open. They are open so that we might enjoy the fellowship of suffering together. Peace came to me in the moment when I was meditating and I had like a, a dream. 
kind of, right? I imagine, this is, this is meditation, I imagined what the conversation would be like if I had this happen to me. I guess if I were in a different denomination, I'd say it's a vision. And so I'm on this giant boulder at, at the beach, and his great majesty is sitting with me on that rock. And I saw him, and he wept. And he wept harder and, and louder and deeper and longer. And I just, and then he turned to me and he said, I know how it feels to lose a son. And then he wiped away his tears and he said, not much longer. And I said, come, Lord Jesus. And he said, soon. It'll be soon. The nature of God is that he is sovereign. And he rules in the present with great compassion. And if you were to meditate on that and believe that, it will change your life. And peace and rest will visit you in ways you cannot imagine. Let's pray. Can you see the sovereign Yahweh? He comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. You see, his reward is with him. His recompense, it accompanies him. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off all of the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Who weighed the mountains puts with scales and, and the hills with a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of Yahweh or instruct Yahweh in be his counselor? Who did Yahweh consult so that he might be enlightened? Who has taught him his way? Who was it that taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Now listen. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can possibly fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases power to the weak. Yeah, the youth, they grow tired and weary. Young men, they stumble and fall. Oh, but those who have hope and sovereign rule of the majestic Yahweh, he will renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and they will not grow weary and they'll walk and not be faint. Oh, to the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of Yahweh or who has ever been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he would have to repay it? For in him and through him 
and to him are all things. To Yahweh be the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen.